Hello there. Thank you for inviting me into your eardrums. I'm Sarah Wendell, and this is episode number 458 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. My guest today is Hudson Lynn. Her new book, Hard Sell, is out on the 25th of May, and it is a trope-tastic queer romance between Daniel and Tobin. Now, Lynn and I talk about so many things. We talk about the writing process and how she portrays Daniel's professional burnout. I promise, no spoilers. We also talk about why Lynn thinks romance is a revolutionary genre. I will have links to all of the places where you can find Lynn and, of course, all of the books we talk about in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast or in the notes actually attached to the file that you are listening to right now. That's also where the show notes are. Hello, and thank you to our Patreon community and a compliment for Jory W. The population of songbirds in your area are currently working on their 19th collaborative symphony composed in your honor. The other ones, you've probably heard them already because they they really like you. If you would like a compliment of your very own, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash smartpitches. Every pledge is deeply appreciated and helps me make sure that every episode is transcribed and accessible to everyone. So hello to Frederick S., our newest Patreon community member, and thank you to Garlic Knitter for transcribing every episode. We have some new sponsors, which is so exciting. This podcast is brought to you in part by Osea. One thing I have been enjoying in the quarantines is taking more attentive care of my skin. And since trivia alert, your skin is your largest organ, it's important to take care of all of it. Osea helps you give your skin all the attention that it deserves. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil is my new favorite thing. All the products from Osea smell marvelous. I sounded like such a weirdo on our onboarding conference call because I just couldn't stop sniffing the body oil in the bottle. It's so lovely. It's not greasy or sticky either. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil is superbly moisturizing and replenishes dry skin. Osea soaks hand-harvested Andaria algae in barrels of oils for up to six months, and the result is a liquid gold, a rich, luxurious, never-greasy body oil, fragrant with sunny citrus and top notes of sweet passion fruit. It is such a nice gift for yourself. You can try Osea risk-free for 30 days and get free shipping on orders over $50. They even send free samples with every order. You can see what I mean when I talk about how good this stuff smells. You can get 10% off your first order with my promo code, Sarah, at oseamalibu.com. That's 10% off with code Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at oseamalibu, O-S-E-A-M-A-L-I-B-U.com. This episode is also brought to you in part by Headspace. If you have tried meditation before, felt like it didn't work, or maybe you felt like you were doing it wrong, have a look at Headspace, especially if mental health is part of your self-care plan this year. You owe it to yourself to give Headspace a try. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Feeling overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. Amanda loves those. And for parents, there's even a morning meditation that you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I am all for all of those things. And since I started using Headspace, my day does indeed go a little easier when I start it with a meditation. 
I've been meditating every day for over 165 days, and I'm astonished at how easy and how enjoyable it is. The daily meditation is often exactly what I need to think about that day, and I've been able to use the techniques to clear my head, relax my shoulders down away from my ears, and reduce my feelings of overwhelm. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash Sarah, that's headspace.com slash Sarah, for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation, including the daily one that I like so much. This is the best deal offered right now, so head to headspace.com slash Sarah today. This episode is also brought to you by Magic Spoon. This week, we had a free-for-all dinner where everyone ate whatever they wanted, which usually includes bowls of cereal because, well, obviously, everyone in my house loves cereal and milk, including me. But alas, as an adult, I realized that sugar is really not good for me. I don't feel good after I eat it. And the cereals that I love, they have a lot of sugar. But now I have Magic Spoon. It is in my pantry, and I get to have my bowl of cereal on free-for-all dinner night, too. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's 140 calories a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. The variety pack comes with four flavors, including cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. My favorite flavor right now is the fruity flavor. It tastes exactly like my favorite childhood cereal. So I can have a mammoth, very satisfying bowl of cereal and dinner free for all makes me very happy. Go to magicspoon.com slash trashy books to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use promo code trashy books at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It is back with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So get your next delicious bowl of cereal at magicspoon.com slash trashybooks or use tra- code trashybooks to save $5 off. And thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. In the beginning of this interview, I mention a cross stitch that is sitting behind Lynn during the recording because I use video conferencing to record. Obviously, this is just audio. But if you're thinking, I kind of want to see this cross stitch, I totally put a link to it in the show notes. It's adorable. If you're a cross stitcher, you'll like this one. But let's get to this conversation, shall we? On with the podcast. Yeah, sure. My name is Hudson Lynn. You can call me Lynn. And my pronouns are she and her. And I write queer romance featuring people of color. Fabulous. You have yeah. a new book. I do. Congratulations. Thank you. I love it's that very it exciting. perched behind you. Yes, exactly. It was just, there you go. <laughs> what does the cross stitch behind you say? I can see the oh. triangle. Yes. It says, this is a safe space. Oh, it might be backward for you. No, it is, it is, it is, it is straight, but it is also not straight. Yes. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> That's fabulous. <laughs> I love that. So congratulations. So mm-hmm. what will readers find inside hard sell? I do have some questions and it's mm-hmm. hard. It's hard to do an interview about a book that's about to come out because you want to entice people to reading it without mm-hmm. spoiling the hell out of it. So there's going to yeah. be some vague questions, but what will readers find inside hard sell? 
Yeah. So Hard Sell is about Danny and he is a very successful businessman who has all the trappings of wealth and glitz and glamour, but he's looking for something a little bit more meaningful than just living the high-flying life. And that's when his best friend's kid brother walks back into his life. Uh, Tobin is all grown up. He's smoking hot, impossible to ignore. And they find themselves on the opposite sides of a business deal and uh, where Danny is trying to buy a company and Tobin is trying to help the company not get, so- not get sold. Um, but, you know, they have a history and uh, they know, they've known each other since they were kids. And there was one uh, one night stand a few years ago that uh, was that happened and then was never spoken of again. Yep. <laughs> and so um, they pick up their bedroom activities also while they are working on this business deal. So as they are pursuing their very, very secret affair, they also have to navigate their careers and their family to eventually find their happily ever after. You have a lot of tropes in this book. I do. <laughs> did you did you just like sort of look at the writing process and be like, all right, where can I fit in one more trope? Kind of, yes. Because awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is for Karina Adores. It's uh, Karina's LGBTQ sort of category romance line, mm-hmm. which is very trope heavy. So oh, yes. when I was thinking about this, I just like pulled up a list of tropes and I was like, okay, what what can I work here? What can I work mm-hmm. with? What can I squeeze in? And I think it came together fairly well, if I do say so myself. I Yes, I, I agree. I also enjoy a good trope bingo book. Like I love it when a book leans into the tropes, but also mm. when you have something like, for example, uh, not a spoiler because you already said it, mm. this is a sibling's best friend mm-hmm. romance. And yep. one of the things that I struggle with in a heterosexual pairing of siblings best friend is that the conflict is often heavily based in uh, misogyny where, Mm. where the heroine can't date this guy because he is her brother's best friend and the brother Mm -hmm. will be mad. And the whole basis of the brother being mad, for example, is, you know, it's just sexism, not a great conflict in my world. So I don't always enjoy it because, you know, you yeah. think if you had good friends, you'd be like, oh, my friend is a great dude and my sister is going to go out with this great dude who I'm friends with. This is great. And well, then there's no book because there's no conflict. <laughs> but this is not a conflict I've enjoyed because I would like to think that you would trust your friends to not be terrible mm-hmm. humans. And if your friends are terrible humans and you don't want them dating your sister, then why are they your friend? Yeah, that's a really, really good point. In this book, it's this is going to be really emotionally messy. Yeah. An emotional mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really messy. <laughs> and emotional I love mess ri- is fun, right? Totally. I love writing messy books with messy characters because like, let's be honest, we are all messy. You know, Extremely. Who, who among <laughs> us isn't a mess? But I think that is the, the beauty of romance, right? Is like you can throw together these characters with a lot of faults and then just kind of figure out they just figure out how to make it work. Um, and that's the, that's the beauty of it all. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you also wrote in this story, again, not a spoiler, that Daniel, while enjoying all of the trappings of being incredibly successful, you, if you made a drinking game out of this book, 
and you had someone drink anytime Daniel calls or sends or is in a car service. Yeah. <laughs> you would have some liver damage. It would be very bad. So I don't recommend it. Although unless, you know, if you feel like having a drinking game and you're maybe you're drinking a smoothie, you, yeah. that, that you would just power through because the man sends a lot of cars. He has a lot of access to a lot of convenience. And, and yep. you know, one of the major signs of someone who's incredibly well-resourced is they just don't have to wait for things ever. Exactly. You never wait in line. Like that's the highest level of wealth. Mm-hmm. But he's also dealing with some really serious career burnout. Mm-hmm. Like he's dealing with burnout. And so mm-hmm. I have to say as a as a compliment, I think that's a very smart choice as a writer. Burnout is, is exhausting and on a lot of levels. It what is. led you to that character conflict for him? What led you to that for Daniel? Well, I while I was coming up with the concept of the story, I was experiencing a lot of career burnout myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working in finance in a similar type of industry as Danny. Mm-hmm. I was nowhere near Danny's level of success. <laughs> I was not calling car service every 12.5 seconds. But I was, you know, traveling a lot for work, you know, traveling every every other week, basically. And when I was traveling for work, I would call car service because then the company would pay for it. Oh, yes. And, you know, staying at fairly decent hotels that were way outside of my own personal price range. Um, calling for room service when I needed it because I just charge it back to the company is fine. <laughs> but like in the midst of that kind of lifestyle where all my friends are like, wow, that's so fancy and so glamorous. I was like, it's exhausting to be constantly on the road, to be going from airport to hotel, to meeting to hotel, to airport, and then back in the office the next day, and then having to go back into that nine to five, even though I've been across various time zones. It's just exhausting. And I wasn't finding any satisfaction in what I was doing. Um, So I channeled a lot of my frustration (laughs) into Danny. (laughs) It was very therapeutic, very cathartic, just to like put all of that angst and frustration right into his character. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And there's this Mm -hmm. expectation, especially in that industry, where you're going to give up all of your life and your free time. Mm-hmm. In, in exchange for the car and the hotel and the room service and the travel, mm-hmm. and you're, you're just expected that your your life comes second to your work. And that's yeah. not sustainable. Yeah. It's not. It's really not sustainable. And I have since left that industry, which I'm very um, happy about. <laughs> but um, it's true. And I think it's not just in finance, but there's a lot of industries out there. And there's a lot of... Um, I would say capitalism in society where it demands a lot of our time and a lot of ourselves to be productive, to contribute to this economy Mm -hmm. without very much thought around how that affects us as humans, affects our families, affects our communities. So it's a microcosm, I think, of a much larger issue. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. Danny has to deal with not only changing his narrative about himself, but accepting that the narrative about him will change. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to accept on a personal level that people are going to say different things about you if you change what you do. 
mm-hmm. and not meeting those expectations, whether they are cultural or or uh, corporate or mm-hmm. personal, is really very difficult for you know most humans. It is. It is, especially for a character like Danny, who, from a young age, he had he put that pressure on himself to mm-hmm. be successful, and so everything he did was 150%. He needed to get to the top of his game. And so then to turn around and say all the things that he's been striving for his whole life is not, it, that's not the answer to yeah. what he thought his problems were, you yeah. know? And so he's got to sort of start back at zero again and yeah. to like redefine who he is and redefine what he wants out of life. That's that's, that's very really hard. hard. That's really mm-hmm. hard. It, I think it's who is it? It just flew out of my head that there are you, uh, that a person has two lives and the second one begins the minute they realize that they only have one. Mm. I'm going to remember the source of that. I'll probably have to put it in the intro or the outro because, of course, I have completely forgotten who said that. It was someone much smarter than me. <laughs> I like it though, but it's true. It's very true. Yeah, it's and very true. Basically, he's lost his why. Why am I doing yeah. this? Why am yeah. I? Why? Exactly. Like, seriously, why? Why am I doing this? When you lose exactly. your why, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I like that. Yeah. Toby or Tobin, this is this is chapter like one. So again, not a spoiler. <laughs> they have to deal with one of the worst sorts of tech bros. <laughs> okay, I just need you to know that this character gave me full body shudder. I was like, oh, I know this. I know this guy. Oh, gosh. And I say that wearing a hoodie and I'm also wearing (laughs) slippers, but I'm in my house like nobody cares. Seriously. I do you know that guy, too? I don't. I luckily I've not had the misfortune of knowing someone exactly like him in Mm -hmm. real life. But he's basically an, an amalgamation of like all the worst types of people yep. in society. He's entitled, <laughs> he's deceitful, he's yep. he, he is a walking macro and microaggression. Yeah. He won't even call you by the name you tell him to call you? Yeah. Oh, he's <laughs> he's like a, a a measurement of little tiny bits of disrespect all packed into one person. Yes. Yeah. It's basically all of the like things about uh people who are entitled and privileged that like really bug me. And I just shoved them all into that one character. And it was very, again, like cathartic and therapeutic to be like, you're a terrible person and I'm going to do awful things to this character <laughs> because I can't necessarily do awful things to people in real life. And and poor Toby has to like work with this guy and be yeah. on his side, sort of, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, uh. he does his best. Yep. Yeah. And that's a tough position to be in. It is. It is. But Toby is, he's the baby of the family mm-hmm. and he's been very sort of coddled by his older brother, by his parents. And they kind of write him off as the baby of the family, but he's like, no, I want to be taken seriously. I want to show that I can do the things that I set myself to. And he doesn't mind being put into very difficult situations because mm-hmm. he believes that he has the ability and the skills to to work it out and get himself out. And um, and he does. And he he's very sort of like, whatever he puts his mind to, he gets it done. Yep. Yeah. Did you have a favorite scene in this book? There's our one that you look at and you're like, oh, I love this one. I'm a huge foodie. So... Any scenes with food in it 
are going to be a favorite. And I try to work food in <laughs> basically anywhere I can. Of course. And I really loved the scenes between Tobin and his roommate. I think because Tobin's personality is kind of different from mine and the way that he speaks and the way that he interacts with people is different from the way I would speak and interact with people. It was really fun to put myself into a different mindset, especially that kind of dynamic with the roommate where they're really good friends and they don't mind um, annoying each other, perhaps on purpose, <laughs> because they know that it's, you know, it's teasing, they'll get over it, they'll work through it. So those are really fun scenes to write. And there's also a lovely intimacy when someone is your roommate and your friend, and you've reached a level of conversation where you can give each other shit and mm -hmm. you just kind of have to put up with it. And this person is yeah. going to be as honest with you as, as you could deal with. Yeah. And you can't get away with stuff no. either you know, because they're going to call you out on it. And it's lovely. Like you're like you're cross stitch behind you. This is this is a safe space when you have a, mm. a, a home situation where the person or persons that you live with create a space for you to be authentically yourself. It's, mm -hmm. it's lovely to have conversations in that space because mm -hmm. you're getting people who are honestly themselves talking to each other. Yeah. And, and being as, as honest and direct as they possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really rare in the society where like, we don't even know the names of our neighbors, mm -hmm. right? Um, to have that intimacy in a platonic way yeah. um, that is um, that is endearing and that's one that you can really count on and you know that person's going to be there for you. Yeah, especially mm -hmm. right now because we've all been home a lot. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've thought a lot about as the quarantines are slowly coming to an end is mm. the, the question of who are you when no one's looking at you? Mm -hmm. was a big question. Like I have discovered um, that I don't like to wear real pants. I like to wear soft pants and I'm not mm -hmm. looking forward to real pants again. <laughs> Neither am I. No, no. <laughs> and I also, there are things I didn't have to care about. I didn't have to care about how my hair looked. I didn't have to care about what I was wearing or what shoes mm -hmm. I was wearing or, you know, I wasn't having to demonstrate anything because no one mm -hmm. was seeing me. So when you have yeah. that that intimacy and that safety in a space where characters are talking, you get that same sort of, all right, who are you now that no one is looking at you? You're not at work. You're not with Mr. Hoodie Tech Bro. You're not in front of anybody. You're not with your mm -hmm. family. Who are you when no one's looking except for this one person? Yeah. Like you said, it's it's rare. And I think it's maybe one of the one of the good things that have come out of the pandemic is that people have had that time to explore who they are. Mm -hmm. Um and as, as like shitty as the whole pandemic has been, yep. I do think that there have been, you know, nuggets of really good side effects that uh, have come out of it. And that's definitely one of them. Yeah. A lot of people have figured out their why. Yeah. Why am I doing this? Good yeah. So many people have quit their jobs. Like I quit my job at the beginning of the pandemic. It wasn't related to the pandemic, but it like the timing just coincided and it was having to like stay at home all the time gave me that space to be like, okay, I'm moving into a different phase of my life. And what is that going to look like now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's also so much pressure and even the characters had to deal with the idea that you're almost expected to declare the rest of your life at a very young age. Like this is what mm -hmm. I'm going to do. And this is who I'm going to be. And I decided this at 17 or 20. Yeah. And, and that's, that's not actually how things work. Oh my gosh. Yes. I totally agree. I saw something on Twitter. Was it just yesterday where someone was like 15 to 25 is where you like 
decide like whether you make it in life. And I was like, excuse uh, me, no. when I was 25, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I barely know what I'm doing now. I am currently 45 and <laughs> I'm making shit up all the time. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's it, something I continually remind myself that like, People can start new careers at any age. They can oh, go yeah. back to school at any age. Anytime. And like life isn't over until it's like over, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. You, and the characters, Toby and Danny, figure that out too. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, I think, a lovely part of the story. Yeah. Danny does for sure um, because he is very much like I, like, I mentioned before one track mind of mm-hmm. like I have to be successful in this career that I've built. Yeah. And when he realizes that he has achieved that success but it's not fulfilling him the way he thought it was going to be, he has to really reevaluate everything, you know? Um yeah, I, yeah. Rem- I remember hearing um a couple of people joke about making partner at a law firm is basically winning a pie eating contest and the prize is more pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for, for Danny, I, I know for him, one of his driving motivations in, in the early chapters was that people were saying, you know, you've lost your touch. People are saying that you don't have it, have what it takes anymore. And he has yeah. to refute that idea, even yeah. though he, he he's not as interested in the things that he was doing. And yeah. he hasn't necessarily lost his touch. He's just not interested in doing that anymore. But that you're, you're choosing to do something different is not a consideration. You have to maintain the pace mm-hmm. that you set for yourself. And mm-hmm. the prize for being successful is to constantly just, go at this breakneck pace and completely exhaust more. yourself. Yes, the prize <laughs> is more pie. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. It's hard to no, opt yeah. out of that. It really is. It really is. It's hard to give up that kind of lifestyle when everyone is like, wow, you're so good at, you know, what you do. You're, you're living such like an amazing life. And to be able to say, well, it's not actually so amazing is, is really hard. It Mm -hmm. is very difficult. Yeah. And it it is, it is a revolutionary message to say, I think as a character in your actual life, I know I made all these choices. And I know I said that this was what I was going to do, but now I'm going to choose something different. I will be right back with more of my conversation with Hudson Lynn. But first, I just want to tell you that this episode is brought to you in part by Rothy's. This is one of my favorite things. It's 2021 and nobody has time for uncomfortable shoes. That is true. That is where Rothy's comes in. Rothy's surveyed thousands of customers and the number one word used to describe their shoes is comfy. Can confirm. What makes Rothy's so good? Their unique seamless design is incredibly comfortable. The moment you put them on and they're washable. They are comfortable. They are stylish and they are washable. I cannot love that more than I do. I have worn them while hosting holidays in the before times and then in the after times probably again, because when we're hosting, I want to look somewhat nice, but also be comfortable while I'm cooking. I have spilled soup all over my Rothy's. I have dropped wet vegetables on them. I have dropped sudsy water from washing the dishes. Whatever. I throw them in the washing machine and they come out looking perfect and they're still effortlessly comfortable and I'll wear them the next time I host a holiday. I love something that is high in comfort and style and extremely low maintenance to take care of. That would probably be why I own roughly six pairs of Rothy's. My, one of my children stole one of my pairs and I haven't asked for it back because they're super great. 
Upgrade your closet with washable, sustainable, stylish shoes and bags from Rothy's. Head to rothys.com slash Sarah to find your new favorites today. That's Rothy's, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Sarah. And now back to my conversation with Hudson Lynn about writing romance and why that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned that you think ro- romance is revolutionary in general. Mm-hmm. That romance yeah. itself is a deeply fundamentally disruptive concept. Um, yeah. Tell me all the things. I agree, but I would really love to hear your take on it. Yeah, totally. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently. Mm-hmm. Um, that romance is the only genre that guarantees a happily ever after for its characters. Yep. And that is extraordinarily powerful in not just literature, but any kind of storytelling medium. Um, And so if we look back in history, romance has been the genre that is written by women, for women, sold to women. It centers women's needs and desires and it validates their life experiences. You know, historically speaking, it's been primarily for the middle-class white women. But at that time, that was very, very radical. You know, in the mid-20th century, women in media were portrayed as like very subservient to men. They were the housewives, they were the secretaries. And that was the role and the reality for a lot of women. And then, I mean, to be honest, that's the reality for a lot of women today too, right? They may not be housewives and secretaries, but they're still expected to be subservient to men in a lot of industries and in a lot of areas of society. Yeah. But romance says, no, in a romance novel, the woman's needs and wants and desires and fantasies and priorities are not subservient to the man's. Actually, they're the priority and the man is the fulfillment of the woman's journey um, and story, right? That fundamentally, I think, flips the narrative of the role of men and women in society completely on its head, which is really, really powerful. And I think nowadays, as we're moving into a lot of awareness around social justice and around racial inequality and LGBTQ rights and all of that, romance is really taking it a step further where other folks from other marginalized communities now can have their happily ever after, right? So in media, there's a very common trope of kill your gaze. Yes. So any queer character must die before the end of the story. That is very, very common. You see it all over the place. Or there's like the token black person or the token brown person. And they're always the person who dies before the end of the story. Usually to further the emotional motivation of the lead characters. Exactly. Exactly. And so it perpetuated perpetuates this idea that folks from marginalized or racialized communities can only look forward to death or like some other very tragic ending and because we see it so often in media then people watching that or reading that really internalize it and Mm -hmm. believe like the only thing I can look forward to in life is this really really tragic ending and that sucks (laughs) yes I am meant to be the supporting role in someone else's heroic narrative yeah. But my role is to be supportive and then dead. Yeah, exactly. 
Those supportive are and then dead. Yeah. Yeah. No, no thank you. No, not a fan. I am, I'm not here for that. <laughs> I'm not here for that. So, you know, so in romance, the tragic endings are not allowed. We X that, it's vetoed. And so when you have queer characters or BIPOC characters or disabled folks or any kind of outsider who gets to be the romantic lead in a romance, mm-hmm. then they get their happily ever after, you know, and they can still be messy. They can have their strengths and their faults and they can be, you know, whatever full bodied person that they are. And at the end, they find somebody who loves them for who they are. Yep. They get to be the the hero, the heroine, the main character of the story. They're not in a supporting role. Yep. They're the protagonist. And they get to come out on top. They get to win by the end of the story. So that's, again, super, super powerful. And it really flips the narrative that we are all wrestling with in society these days yeah. where, you know, we're there's so much inequality that, and especially the pandemic has highlighted just how much inequality there is in our society. And romance is saying, even the people who are sort of at the bottom of the social hierarchy, you know what? They get a happily ever after. Mm -hmm. They get to find someone who loves them. They get to find belonging and community and they get to win. Um, And that's, that's revolutionary. I think that's a really radical message for for not just people from marginalized communities, but for everyone to to buy into and to really embrace that that story. Yeah. So it sounds like you enjoy writing romance just a little bit. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> have you always written romance? Has that always been the thing you wanted to write most of all? I have, yes. I would love to dabble in like science fiction and stuff, but anytime I come up with a plot bunny, it's always a romance. Yeah. (laughs) So what are you working on right now? So I'm working on book two of the Jade Harbor Capital series. It's called Going Public, and it'll be out in the spring of 2022 with Karina Press. Um, It is the story of Ray, and Ray is uh, also um, a partner at Jade Harbor. And he falls in love with his assistant, uh-oh, trope alert, trope alert. Mm-mm, yeah, so it's a slow burn office romance um, with, you know, the usual shenanigans. And there might be a few more tropes thrown in there, but I, I don't want to give too much away at this point. <laughs> <laughs> now, you also have a podcast. And I have to say, I love doing podcast interviews with podcasters because it, mm-hmm. you, know, you just, you not only do you understand the, the how the, the medium works, but... Mm-hmm. It, like you said, with romance, I think podcasting is extremely revolutionary because mm-hmm. everybody can literally have their voice and their platform. And it used to be that a broadcast voice broadcast was very centralized into very specific literal channels. And now we have terrestrial mm-hmm. and satellite, but it's still mm-hmm. it's still very limited in who has access to those platforms. And now with podcasting, mm-hmm. much like blogging, much like self-publishing, much like small presses, much mm-hmm. like romance, everybody gets to show up and have their say. There is still yeah. obviously intersectional and intersectional inequality within these structures, but I love the idea of how revolutionary it is. It is. Please tell me about your podcast. What led you to podcasting? Yeah, so the podcast is called World of Stories, and I co-host it with my friend Margaret. And it was birthed out of these lunch dates I would have with Margaret, and we would just sit and talk about 
books that we've read or TV shows that we've watched and whether they had good diversity representation or not. And so we were like, we should record ourselves talking about this stuff and stick it up somewhere and see if there's anybody who would like to listen to us. So that's what we did. And like you said, it's very accessible where, I mean, yes, there are some you know, some equipment that you need to get and you have to learn how to like edit and like put it together and like upload it. So there is a bit of a learning curve and there is, there's a bit of a threshold, but it's much, much lower than, you know, trying to get yourself onto a radio station or a TV broadcasting thing. So it's, it's very much accessible to a lot, a lot of people. Um, And so it's, the podcast is about how stories shape our lives. Um, And so we talk about how stories are mirrors that can reflect our own truths back to us and how important it is to see ourselves represented in stories. Mm -hmm. Um, But also stories as as windows for us to see into the lives of others and to learn a little bit about how other people live. Um, We are in our second season right now. Ooh, nice. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, And we've been talking about how to survive the pandemic, (laughs) which has not been easy. We've been talking about, you know, what does rest look like in a pandemic and what does work and productivity look like and how do you separate work from rest when we're all stuck inside our homes? Um, you live with your work. Exactly. It's very hard. It's very, very hard. And we talk about what does friendship look like in a in a time where we can't just go out and see our friends anymore. We've also been interviewing some of our friends to see how have they been dealing with the pandemic and Mm -hmm. how have their lives changed because of the pandemic. And um we ground a lot of these discussions in various books or media that we've been consuming. And so we have like a recommendation of the uh, episode where we talk about a book that we think would help people think more about whatever topic we're talking about. That's very cool. Yeah. Has podcasting influenced your writing or vice versa? Do you think? I would say that podcasting has influenced my reading more than my writing. Um, It's really forced me to read much more widely than I did before. So before I started the podcast, I really only read romance because Mm -hmm. it's the best genre and there's, you know, why would I want to read anything else? Um, (laughs) But after I started the podcast, I've also expanded a lot more into nonfiction, into um, literary fiction, into speculative fiction, and just seeing what else is out there. And Mm -hmm. I've really found some wonderful authors along the way, some really good nonfiction authors um, and some really good uh, YA authors and speculative fiction authors. So um, I really enjoyed how it forced me a little bit out of my reading comfort zone. That makes sense. So what books are you reading that you would want to tell people about? Okay, so I just have to admit that with the pandemic, my reading has like tanked basically. Totally normal. Yeah. I've just been like sucked into like Netflix binging. Oh, and I don't even. I understand I this completely. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't always even, ask what books are you reading, but it can be pretty much what are you consuming? Because we want to know about it. 
Yeah. So I've actually, in the past like few weeks, have forced myself to get back into reading because I'm like, this is ridiculous and I really need to, I want to get back into reading. So mm-hmm. um, I have just finished the first and second book of KJ Charles' The Will Darling Adventures series. And I mean, anything by KJ Charles is amazing. So highly recommend anything she writes. Um, It's set in the 1920s England where it's like full flapper era. Um, So that's like a lot of fun with when she's describing the outfits, especially of the women. Um, It's great. And it's an MM romance. It's like espionage and intrigue. And so it's just like this very feel good, easy read that I blew through in like a day or two. It's, it's, it's great. Um, And then for nonfiction, I really, really loved this book called So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijoma Oluo. I love that book. So good, right? Oh my gosh. So good. Yeah, it's great. So if for any listeners who who don't know about it, it's this really, really frank discussion about how to talk about racial inequity. So it's like, it doesn't matter where in life you're coming from, Mm -hmm. whether you're, you know, a racialized person or if you're not, it just not only introduces the topic, but it addresses like the really uncomfortable feelings that come up whenever like things about race come up. Um, And it just like gives people the tools to be like, this is how you talk about it. And this is how you like address the uncomfortable feelings and how you disarm the situation and make it accessible so that you can actually get to the core of the matter. So I really highly recommend it. Um, I really enjoyed her sense of humor Um, There are some places where it's like really dry humor that I was like, yes, (laughs) I totally get that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Anytime somebody can write good sarcasm, I'm there. Mm -hmm. I'm very there. So what have you been binging on Netflix? I am always looking for recommendations and I have, I think I have one for you too. Okay. Yes, please. Okay. So I have been sort of hopping around a little bit. Um, I started Ozark, Ooh. which was interesting. It's about this financial advisor who is laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel. That's mm-hmm. the, pre- the premise of the story. I got a few episodes into it, decided to take a break. I'm now back into, I think, my third run through of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit of a Trekkie. Um I won't say that I'm like official Trekkie. I've never been to like a comic con or anything. I don't have any outfits, but it's one of those series where I can just put it on and I know what's going to happen Yep. and I don't have to think about it. And it's just like running away and I can like do other stuff if I need to. So um, that's where I'm currently at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of shows like that as sort of soothing the Jack Russell Terrier part of my brain. Mm-hmm. The part of my brain yeah. that's really jumpy and active yeah. and doesn't want to sit down. And I put that on. And it's like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yep. For mm-hmm. a lot of people, that's great British baking show or. I love that show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. It's it's very soothing on a very specific level. Yeah, exactly. And what I love about the Great British Baking Show is that there are a lot of seasons, so you can just like start from the beginning and just let it run. And just keep going. <laughs> and just keep going. Keep That's going. what I love about it. And then it's like, it's visual eye candy because mm-hmm. stuff looks real good and you want to eat it. 
Yeah. And then I'm like, great. Now I got to like go to the bakery or learn how to make, I don't know, like Victorian sponge. I don't, what is that? I have never made a Victoria sponge. I have no idea how to make that. No, not a But I really want some. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just just want to make cake. Yeah, basically lots of cake. So have you read the Murderbot Diaries? I have not. Okay. As a Trekkie, you may mm-hmm. like this. And as a story okay. person, you may like this. The Murderbot Diaries are a series of novellas, and there's one novel mm-hmm. um, by Martha Wells. And I've mm-hmm. been talking about them nonstop. So anyone who's listening is going to be like, oh my God, Sarah's <laughs> talking about Murderbot again. Murderbot is a human bot construct that mm-hmm. is enslaved by a governor module, which will punish it if it deviates from its assignments as oh. it is sent out on contracts, usually on mining installations Mm. this is deep space in the future Mm -hmm. so murderbot has hacked its governor module but continues to do its job because it realized that once it's hacked its governor module it didn't really have anything else that it wanted to do it didn't know what else it wanted to do and then Mm -hmm. it got access to the entertainment feed so it has been watching thousands and thousands of hours of television and media and serials and audiobooks. And so basically mm-hmm. it has this really difficult relationship with humanity because humanity mm-hmm. is what created it and has enslaved it. And it has broken through its own um, enslavement, but the humans are also the ones that make all the media. Mm. So they're super annoying. And then Murderbot has to deal with having feelings, which is really not something Murderbot enjoys. Um, it is incredibly interesting to be in this perspective of this agender, asexual, extremely, extremely intelligent um, being that has to figure out how to deal with humans. Wow. And it's so, it's so good. I love it so much. I think I've reread it like six times in the pandemic. Okay. I'm going to have to go look that up. The first one is all systems read and it's how a set of humans learn that Murderbot has broken its governor module and is a free agent, which is supposed to be absolutely terrifying as a, as a sec unit. That's what it's, that's what it's called a sec unit Mm -hmm. as a sec unit, a rogue sec unit is deeply dangerous. And the media Mm -hmm. has portrayed them as these monstrous murdering, killing machines and Mm -hmm. murder bot would really just prefer you leave it alone so it can go watch TV. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Hard. Right. Yeah. Just leave me alone. Give me some like Netflix or streaming service. I'll be good. So the other yeah. thing I want to recommend to you, how are you with doing uh, with subtitles? I know some people struggle with reading subtitles. I love subtitles. Okay. okay, good. Yeah, I love them. Okay, so there is a Japanese television show called Midnight Diner. Okay. Oh my gosh. It's so I good. think I've seen that pop up on my it's, Netflix before. It's starting to like get served up by the, the Netflix yeah. algorithm. So Midnight Diner is a Japanese show. I have not found a dub. I, I've only okay. seen the subtitled version. Which is hard for me because I wear bifocals and the TV is across the room. So I can really only Mm. do about two episodes before my eyes are like, listen, you're asking a lot for after dinner before Mm. bedtime here. Like, Mm -hmm. you need to calm down. Mm -hmm. So I should probably try it on like a closer screen. Mm -hmm. The Midnight Diner is run by a man who runs a diner between midnight and 7 a.m. in Tokyo. Okay. And the stories are about the food that that he prepares. He will make anything that a guest requests as long (laughs) as he has the ingredients. But his menu officially only has one item on it. Mm. But there's all of this food that connects people to each other and connects people to their histories and connects them to across different lines that you don't expect. And so there's always a each episode is a specific story of the characters in the diner and the food that has connected them in some way. Wow. They are like 22 minutes long and they are brilliant storytelling. They're so good. 
Oh, I'm I'm gonna have to definitely look that up. So it's, it's food porn and yeah. story porn, basically, is what that's, we're talking about. That's here. my jam. Yeah, that's my jam. Food and mm-hmm. story porn. It's so good. So yeah. so good. And then there's all these little aspects of culture and class and uh, occupation and the things that divide and unite the people around this tiny little diner where they're mm-hmm. eating food at three in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. Good. Okay, I'm gonna go look that up right now. Okay, right I'm after so we glad. hang up, I love. Yeah. I, I'm. An, I'm. I love making recommendations, but I also just. I just love being like, yo, story people will like this. Yes. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to make sure that people know about Heart Cell, about your writing? Anything you want to make sure that people know about? I came up with Heart Cell at a period of time where it was. I was in a transition. Yeah. And so I hope that it helps. I hope that it's one just like entertaining, you know? Um, and it's a, it's a romance. It's fun. It's a snapshot into this world. And so I hope that people just enjoy it, but I also hope that it helps them just feel seen, mm-hmm. you know, because we're all living in, living through like a huge transition in the world. And so I hope that people just feel seen and feel like they can connect to some, all of the characters and the situations that they find themselves in. Well, I read this while I was waiting in line to get my vaccine. Nice. It was a very long line. It was also raining. Um, oh God. Yeah, it was It was not optimal. And they stopped the line. It was a very quick process, but they had stopped the line to count the appointments versus the doses that they had on site. So there was a right. whole like back behind the, in, in the big tents, there were c- counting of things. And so we were yeah. waiting outside in the rain. And there were all these people coming down the line saying, we're really sorry. We know this sucks. You're in the rain, but I promise that, that we have doses. It's not a question of not having enough. We're just trying to reconcile the number we have. We're really sorry. It was very mm. communicative. But I yeah. was standing in the rain, and I, th- this was the book I was reading while oh. I was waiting for quite a while. So <laughs> thank you for getting me through that line. I really well, appreciate it. You're very welcome. I'm glad that it did. <laughs> thank you so much for, for doing this interview. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I've had such a lovely time. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to Hudson Lynn for hanging out with me. I will have links to Hard Sell, all of the books that Lynn mentioned, and all of the things we talked about, including cross-stitching and television worth binging, in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. I always end each episode with a bad joke, and this week is no exception. Thank you to everyone who sends me bad jokes. If you would like to send me one, Email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com and tell me your terrible jokes because you know how much I love them. This one is from a parent and daughter combo. You ready? How do you make a Lamborghini? How do you make a Lamborghini? Well, when a Sheeporghini and a Ramborghini fall in love, then, well, you know what happens next. (laughs) So silly. I love it. If you enjoy the bad jokes as much as I do. Thanks for listening all the way to the end, because it's my favorite part of the outro. It's probably one of my favorite parts of doing all the (laughs) post-production. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend with the very best of reading. Oh, almost forgot. The quote that I tried to recall the source for, that was Confucius. A person has two lives, and the second life begins the minute you understand that you only have one. I'm really glad I could cite my source. It would have bothered me if I couldn't, and I can't believe I didn't remember that during the recording. Thank you again for listening. Have a wonderful weekend with the very best of reading. We'll see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to listen to at frolic.media slash podcasts.